Thanks, Amy. Good morning, Bethany. My name's Scott. I'm a senior pastor here. It's super great to be with you. Week three of this series, which is called How to Pray. We are going week by week through the Lord's Prayer. And our hope is that as we unpack this prayer, we find our own story in it. Going back to prayer is the headwaters for all activity. And instead of praying and then launching in the sermon, I actually want us to just pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I know we come from a lot of different traditions, different words, trespasses, debts, and different things. So we're going to just pray the Lord's Prayer now out of Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 to 11 out of the NIV. So let's say the Lord's Prayer together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for the, from the evil one. Amen. We're, we're doing great. We're in a series in prayer and you've already prayed. We're like been in it for one minute. So what we're talking about today is week three of this series, the kingdom of God. Where Jesus says, this then is how you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus was saying these words, he was in a desperate situation, people of Israel longing to see the fulfillment of the prophecies of God, Roman oppression, Roman occupation, uh, Jewish oppression from the, from the Sadducees and, and different ruling powers, and they were discouraged. I think Jesus understood prayer was the gateway to significance for every one of his listeners. He modeled that with his life. In the same way today, as leaders of Bethany, we believe we're in a situation right now where prayer is our number one call to action. We are in a little bit of a desperate situation as a city. I don't know if you caught the uh, Seattle Times article, uh, February 18th, by Seattle Times columnist Danny Westneat, but his assessment of Seattle right before the mayor is about to give the state of Seattle uh, speech, um, he, he says this, he says, the state of our city, Seattle, the state of the city is hungry. After all the uncertainty of the pandemic, people are thirsting to hear a cause, a vision, a plan for moving on. With a hollowed out downtown and other challenges, people are desperate for leadership. Now, zooming out of a column about the city of Seattle, when we go back to the words of scripture, Jesus knew that in his day too. And his bold leadership move was to teach us how to pray, was to teach a revolution built on the the kingdom of God, which was Jesus incarnate, based on prayer. My old pastor from California, Daryl Johnson, said it like this. Jesus is inviting us into the radical participation with his power in our world. The revolution has begun. And I think this phrase, on earth is heaven, captures the passion of the gospel. It's God's passion to bring life to heaven on earth. To pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in an invasion of earth by heaven. So when Jesus says, on earth as in heaven, this is the center point of the Lord's Prayer. Our world is hungry for God? Are we looking to prayer as the solution? I've been reading a book that Pastor Eric shared with me called Beholding by a writer and a thought leader and an artist by the name of Strahan Coleman called Beholding, and I highly recommend it. In his book, Coleman says this. He says, I believe there's a really deep longing for genuine and permanent renewal in our generation, and I would agree. To catch a vision for Christ's life that sets us on a lifelong holy trajectory. For many as the world has become a more complex place, the longing for a simple yet transformative Christian experience has grown with it. The world longs for God. I think it's true. 
Church participation is going down, but people are praying now more than ever. People long for meaning. They long for identity. They long for hope. They long to pray. And do we as a church, are we equipping people, believing in faith that prayer is the antidote for a hungry world? Are we hungry? Are we desperate? Are we asking God to do something in faith, something mighty again for our kids, for our relationships, for people in our dorm or fraternity, for people around Green Lake? Do we believe that God wants to change the city? If we do, then prayer is our starting point. Coleman from Beholding again. Prayer becomes a place of adventure and wonder. Something you can't live without because it's so deeply satisfying. Prayer is the birthplace of our deepest knowing and creativity. It offers us the profound simplicity we need. A simplification that can flow beneath the complexity of our world and our sense making of it. A simplicity that sustains us. Get that right and our lives tend to follow. How we pray affects everything. Our study, our theology, our view of those who aren't like us. Our view of ourselves, our use of material resources, our treatment of the environment ultimately shapes who we're becoming. Who we behold is who we become. But I'm not sure, Coleman continues, we've been teaching prayer that way on the whole. Often prayer is taught only in the context of praying for things. It's a place we seek forgiveness or provisioning or world peace, not holy recreation. I can't help but feel our inability to see prayer as a place of abiding rather than achievement has driven a performance culture in the church and robbed many of us from the spiritual fruits Christ has promised us. I want to just repent and publicly for ways that I've made God's church anything other than Prayer is the center point. That yeah, we have things we're inviting you into. We have the priorities, values. All those things are very true, but they're built upon the intimacy of Christ found in prayer. And before you check out, because some of you are like, that's not, yeah, I get it. Prayer is important. Get it. Check. Week three. Friends, there's an invitation to the simple experience of faith that happens through the intimacy of prayer. And I talked to somebody after an earlier service, and he's like, you know what? Like, I I, I saw God not answer prayers. So how am I supposed to believe in prayer again? We're going to talk more about that next week under the kind of give us our daily bread. But we're long to continue to persevere and hope. And the good news in prayer is it's not about your power anyway. So when you feel desperate, you're actually closer to the heart of God in prayer. In the life of Christ, the disciples said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? That means there was something so transformative in the way that Jesus prayed that they understood that prayer was the center point of all the downstream significance. All of the miracles, all of the healings, all of the goodness, it was all based on prayer. Their first question, Lord, can you teach us to pray? The disciples Last question in the book of Acts before Jesus ascended to the Father. Jesus, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? So bookended in the whole ministry. Can you teach us to pray? And what is it about the kingdom and when is it going to be? That's some of what we're going to spend our time today. Because the kingdom was on their mind because it was on Jesus' mind. And so when Jesus said, the coming kingdom and the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven, this was a bit of his, his mission statement, his thesis, if you will, for being. This is the longing that Jesus wants us to dive into. And so today, we're going to kind of have a pretty simple outline that to experience the kingdom of God here as it is in heaven, Jesus teaches us to wait, to act, and to pray. And that those become words of hope and encouragement and belief. 
Let's dive in here into this first topic of wait, come thy kingdom. And I've reordered the words here on purpose. I'll talk about it in just a moment. This is first is a word for waiting. Waiting, come thy kingdom. Kingdom in the Greek is the Greek word basileia, which means you know, a kingship, a reign, a place of rule and authority. But the thing about kingdom, it, you never are in a kingdom alone. Kingdom is, means that our lives are connected together by the one who rules over us. And so there was this value of relationship and interdependence, something that the church has kind of struggled with in recent years, if we're honest, right? We're not thriving in relationships, and we're not very good at being interdependent one to another. We like to be more lone rangers. But in the kingdom, we belong not just to the king, but to each other. We have a fellowship. It's the jersey we wear. It's kind of a word about relationship. And so the, the kingdom, Jesus says, come thy kingdom. Now, in Greek language, which was the original kind of translation, Jesus, of course, spoke in his native tongue of Aramaic. It was given to us in the scriptures as Greek. In Greek, the, ver- the verbs come first. So you would read in the ancient church, you would read, come kingdom your, done will your, in heaven as earth. Come kingdom your, done will your. So come and done. It almost puts this emphasis on the verb. And the tense of these verbs, and I'm kind of geeking out. So we're like, okay, get to the point. It matters because the imperative means it's this form of the Greek that's just like commanding. Done, will, go, do. And the subject of the verbs is not us. Jesus doesn't turn to us and say, can you teach us pray? And then him say like, get a shovel and say, dig for the kingdom. No, the point of the verbs, the subject of the verbs is the father, the good fathers we heard about so wonderfully last week from Pastor Nathan. So the good father wants to bring his will on earth as it is in heaven. That means for us, we get to rest into it. We get to abide into the work that God is already doing. So our primary mission to enter into the kingdom of God first is the work of waiting and letting God work in us. It's not a work of effort. Some of you are like, man, if I come to another service about join this team, do that thing, serve here, whatever. I mean, right? Even in this service, we've given you a couple of opportunities to join the team. And I love that. But, but the first work is this work of waiting, of receiving such a passionate connection to the heart of God, living into that first love, connected to his love, that that becomes the wellspring for the life that follows. This is the life of Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 17, once when he was asked about the kingdom of God, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed out in the future, or here it is, there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's a bit mysterious, actually. We could talk a whole series on the kingdom of God, and we actually have done series on the kingdom of God, because it was Jesus' favorite topic. Jesus talks all about the kingdom. He is the kingdom of God. He promises the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God you enter into when you serve as he does. You, you receive the kingdom of God. And Jesus will use, depending on the translation, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's really important to Jesus. It was his mission statement on the first day of his ministry in Matthew 4, where Jesus began to preach, and these were his first words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning for Jesus, I'm here. I am the embodiment of the reign of heaven. And so we live in this already, not yet, because Jesus was put to death by the powers and principalities of evil in our world. 
So in this season where Jesus has ascended the Father before he returns and restores the kingdom of heaven on earth, we wait in this middle ground. We've been given the kingdom of heaven, but we anticipate the full reign of heaven. So we wait and we long and we're called to pray, Lord, come your kingdom. And when we get, when we get just content with our daily interactions, when we just say, like, I guess this is as good as it's going to get, when we're not tapped into the hunger that a columnist from Seattle Times can see walking around downtown, we have the antidote. We have the answer. His name is Jesus. And when we pray and we wait into that, we, we are unleashing the full authority of the kingdom of heaven. Same guy after the first service. But I am sitting on unanswered prayer. I get it. I have too. And we still do. And so we're called to wait and pray and trust that the kingdom is coming. And what happens when people that you love are hurt? What happens when you're waiting for some? It's complicated. And still, we're called to wait. But Jesus says the kingdom is inherent in his ministry. And there's this latent potential to change the world if we would only wait in him through prayer. And trust that he is the power source to change this world. And in that regard, then, the kingdom of heaven is not about dominance. It's about submission to our high king of heaven. Entering into the kingdom, receiving the divine life of Christ. Like our tools are not about power, but humility. Not arrogance, but authenticity. Not violence, but vulnerability. Or as one theologian said, if you find the door of your heart, you'll discover it is the door of the kingdom of God. So when we pray, come the kingdom, we're saying, Jesus, make me more like you. Like change the world out there, but start in me. Pete Scazzaro says it like this, prayer is not getting God to do what you want, but God getting you to do what he wants. And for many of us, we spend most of our prayer life speaking our requests to God. It's called petition. It's good. God's in it. He's a good father. He wants to hear these things. But if our prayers are made up entirely of our own requests, we're missing some of the revolution we've been invited to. We're fighting for our own kingdom. Now, we're meant to be bringing the kingdom here on earth. And that means we're called to be praying for others. Karl Barth said it like this, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready for an uprising. I'm ready for holy hunger, a dissatisfaction with the status quo to see the spirit of God bring new life of the kingdom here on earth. And so when we intercede in prayer, to intercede means to, to take people we love and put them before the Father that we love. To intercede prayer is to bring other people's requests to God. And intercession is then our number one tool to see the come the kingdom move. This is how we wait for the kingdom is we intercede in prayer. Pete Greige, who's a pastor out of the UK and the leader of the 24-7 prayer movement around the world, he has a new book out on prayer, and he says this about intercession. He says, here we have an insight into heaven as a place of loud intercession, bringing the ones we love before the God we love. That is to intercede. To be in Christ is to be drawn up into his intercession for the world. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with an interceding spirit. We've got to pray, and we've got to make the subject not about ourselves. 
Where once we could ignore the problems of others, we begin caring deeply. We are sensitized to the world's brokenness. We yearn for our friends to know Jesus. Our lives take the shape of a single prayer. Lord, your kingdom come. And so waiting might be our greatest way to be working in the moment because we're begging, Lord, bring your kingdom. So as a church, we're gonna try this, this during Holy Week between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday we're launching a virtual 24-7 prayer room. We are committing as a prayer, as a church of six locations to fill all 168 hours of Holy Week to be interceding for others to be praying, God, can you change the world? And when you sign up, it's in your bulletin and you can find it on our website. It's super easy. It takes 20 seconds and you click and you can put anonymous or you can put your name in there and then we'll email you a a list of resources. And, And like right now, the Saturday before Easter is virtually empty and there's like 250 of you. So like we want that thing full by noon, right? Like, can we do that? Because when you're praying together, we're bonded together. We're acting like we're actually in a kingdom ruled by the high king of heaven. But our challenge for so many of us in the church is we've begun to get kind of callous that prayer actually matters. I used to teach high school English. And one of my favorite books to teach in American literature at the end of the junior year was Catcher in the Rye. And everyone rolls their eyes, didn't like reading that book when they were 14. But what I love about Catching the Rye is the protagonist, Holden Caulfield, and his search for meaning in the world. I never found Jesus, and the author, J.D. Salinger, dealt with profound discouragement and spent the end of his life writing from a compound in New Hampshire. Like, that's not life. But Holden Caulfield in, in, in Catching the Rye, he talks about the most dangerous kind of falling when you give up believing your life still matters. Caulfield says, the fall that you're heading for is the most dangerous kind of fall, where the person falling has no feeling of falling at all. And I fear at times, church, that we're falling. We're falling away from the belief that God wants to bring his kingdom to bear and that our work is waiting in prayer. And believing that he uses our prayers to mobilize his people. I've got a great story from church history about this. I don't know if you ever heard of Nikolaus Zindendorf, a great name. Zinzendorf, my apologies. Zinzendorf in the 18th century and the great Moravian prayer meeting. I don't know if you know this story. It's a great one. Nikolaus Zinzendorf was 27 years old, a, a young man of, of good financial wealth, raised in Saxony region of Germany. And as there was a religious crisis across the border in Moravia, now Czech Republic, he he took in one refugee into his house. He thought he could do one thing after praying. He's like, I can just, somebody knocked on his door. It's like, I'll just open the door. I'll be a blessing to one person. But that person had a cousin and then a brother and then Uncle Sam. And before you know it, Zinzendorf on his little compound had 300 refugees living there. He had a little bit of an issue, but they decided to just pray together, to start worshiping together. Most of the refugees were coming for religious prosecution. And as they prayed together, their hearts started to burn with things that were on the heart of God. They started to dream about changing the world for unreached peoples that didn't know the good news of Jesus. But it all started in this little chapel outside of the little town in Germany, in Hernhunt, Germany. It's pretty remarkable. And Zinzendorf said that he has but one passion, it is Christ and Christ alone. 
And then in 1727, they started to pray. And then they prayed through the night. And then they said, you know, let's keep this going. So you take 8 a.m. and you take 9 a.m. and you take the prayer meeting called the Moravian Prayer Movement. Prayed 24-7, this group of 300 in Germany. They prayed for 100 years straight in 24-7 prayer. And though they would go on to plant churches and send missionaries, it was just about waiting in prayer. And God did massive things then. It's a word of hope, friends. Because if you hope in the Lord to restore you, then you can wait in prayer. Waiting in prayer is a word of hope because your hope lies outside of your effort, your work, your ability, and is placed entirely on God. The second thing that Jesus teaches us in the short lesson on prayer is about actions. He's act, and he uses the, the phrase, done thy will on earth. Thy will on earth be done. Be done, be completed. God, your will on our soil, done. It's a word of action. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, he talked in gritty, organic, agrarian, real world ways like mustard seeds and pearls and treasures. But make no doubt about it. When you experience the kingdom, man, your life was forever different. When you experienced Jesus Christ, when you came and, and, and received his gaze or his touch or his affection or a dinner with him, you wanted to spend the rest of your life to get back to that space of intimacy with Jesus. There was this passion And so from that place of just like, hey, once you've experienced me, you've waited on me and my power. That's a word of hope. But Jesus is trying to give them a word of encouragement that we must also be people of action. This word of action. And the scripture that Amy read for us where Jesus, near the end of his ministry, he's getting ready to give up his life on the cross. And he's he's frustrated by the inactivity, by people professing one thing with their mouth and living entirely different. He's just been you know ushered into the city in Palm Sunday and people aren't going to even follow him to the cross. And so Jesus says, what do you think? There's a man who has two sons. The first, he said, son, go work in the vineyard. And the boy says, I'll not. And then later, the boy changed his mind, and he went into the vineyard. He did his father's will. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of these two sons did what the father wanted? The first, the disciple said. Jesus said, yeah. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, There's some subtext there because it's John's disciples and they're frustrated with John's disciples, not following Jesus' disciples. But don't miss the point of the story that Jesus says, once you really experience the kingdom of God, once you really say, God, thy will be done on earth, it's life-changing. It reorientates our activity in the world. But we don't have to be guilt trips and we don't have to be these like martyrs. Ruth Haley Barton, who's a a pastor and a leader and a writer in Chicago, who my wife is with today, studying under in a transforming community, she has this great line about this. She says, don't be in the world for God, be in God for the world. Don't be in the world for God, because then you're just going to be like, kind of feeling sorry for yourself, like, ah, just for God, you know, it's not, I'm not a big deal, just for God, you know, no, no, be in God for the world, be in Christ for Seattle, be in Christ for your fraternity, for, be in Christ for your sorority, be in Christ for you know, QuickBooks and for Amazon and for all the places you go to work tomorrow morning. But it starts with being in Christ. If we're in Christ, we're people of his kingdom. 
And this is the call of his church. Individuals knitted together who are acting and waiting, longing and trusting. These are the movements which make up divine discipleship. And so don't miss it. This is this word of encouragement. It's a word of encouragement to be people of activity. Because we can be courage, we can have courage, we can be brave. Encouragement comes from the Latin to put courage into another people. And we live in a time and a place in a city of people facing incredible discouragement. And many of us, myself included, kind of get overwhelmed and we just like, man, can I just stay home and do my own devotions? God is asking us to act, friends, to have courage and to give encouragement to a world who is so beaten down, to be a person of hope, to be a person of belief, to be a person who believes through prayer, you can change the life of others. Oswald Chambers has this great quote. He says, prayer does not fit us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not fit us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. For so many, and this was kind of my wiring, planning the church at Bethany North for 10 years. It's like, are we gonna pray or are we gonna do something? You know, it's like, yeah, we're gonna pray and do something. Because what Jesus taught is that prayer was the foundation for all the significance in the world around us. A great lesson from history on this was the miracle, and I'm using that word intentionally, the miracle of Dunkirk. Now, many of us have seen either the movie that came out a couple years ago, which was really well done, or we know enough World War II, World War II history that we understand that what happened at Dunkirk was a surprise, to say the least. But I'm going further to say, no, it's a miracle. Because what many historians miss is that England had called a national day of prayer before the Dunkirk miracle of evacuation. 335,000 soldiers were pinned in an impossible situation in the northwest coast of France seashore called Dunkirk. And, And the king put out a prayer for our country. And from this place of prayer, an idea was born. We don't have enough naval ships to get those men off the beach what will we do? Are we going to pray? Or are we going to do something? Yeah. Everybody prayed. But from that praying, that word of encouragement, the people started to act. Because from that place and posture of prayer, people were acting with what they had, their own ability. They couldn't control the naval forces and naval forces couldn't get there in time. But I have a dinghy and you have a skiff and they have a schooner. And pretty soon, this ragtag, like World War II version of Uber got started. And the greatest military evacuation, the greatest alignment of thousands and thousands of private vessels crossed the English Channel and safely evacuated 335,000 soldiers. But it all started with prayer. It's a miracle. When we pray, God acts. And God will call us to act into safe families, into Easter, into using our boat or our vehicle to be a blessing. Like, who knows? But if we don't pray first, we're going out of our own strength. When George, King George, that is, when he would call the nation of England to, to pray, he said, there's none too busy, there's none too young, there's none too old, when he called the nation to pray. He literally put this out around the entire empire. He says, I hope that throughout the present crisis of the liberation of Europe, there may be offered up earnest, continuous, and widespread prayer. It's from every place of worship, from home and factory, from men and women of all ages and races and occupations. Please, God, both now and the future, 
not remote, the predictions of the ancient song, would they be fulfilled? The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will give people the blessing of peace. And then he quotes Psalm 29. I mean, that's 80 years ago. It feels like a thousand. Can you imagine like calling our nation to pray and people actually praying and then being mobilized together to act for the good of others? We gotta, we gotta act. It's a word of encouragement. Finally, friends, we gotta pray as it is in heaven. And this is a word of belief, belief in the power of pray, prayer. When we pray as it is in heaven, God can change the world around us. There's this great verse from the Old Testament in Chronicles. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. I'll hear, I'll hear them, I'll forgive them, and I'll hear them, I'll heal them. It's beautiful. Prayer is the foundation for all of it. This is a word of belief that when we pray, God can change the world. When we pray that God says, now you're turning to me in real belief, because before you scurry off to some activity, you're coming to me from this place of dependence and place of belief. Strahan Coleman again. By reforming the culture of our prayer, by opening a space wide enough to embrace being with God as much as being for him, by returning our hearts to our first love, reshaping the language and practice of how we approach God, and rediscovering the art of beholding, I believe we'll find fresh water and sustenance for the times we live in. We'll draw water from the deep wells that have kept God's faithful nourished for millennia past. I long to drink from those wells. And I know you do too. Like we're becoming a praying church together. We're believing together that prayer is the headwaters to the change that the city, this church, these hearts, myself included, need so desperately. When we pray for others, we're saying, God, can you change them too? Can you change the lives of the people around? I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about my sister. I'm worried about my teacher. God, I, when we're praying for others, now heaven starts to make its way to earth. Richard Foster wrote this great book on prayer, and he says this about intercession prayer. He says, if we truly love people, we'll desire for them far more than it's within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is the way of loving others. We move from petition, just praying about ourselves, to intercession, praying for others. We are shifting our center of gravity from our own needs to the needs and concerns of others. Intercessory prayer is selfless prayer, even self-giving prayer. In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. What a statement. When we pray for others, we believe God has power. So this is a word of belief. This is our moment, church. This is going back to the beginning, loving God and loving others by praying boldly as it is in heaven. So in the week ahead, just some questions to kind of prime the pump for you. What does it mean for you to pray as it is in heaven? Like, who are you actually praying for that they would experience heaven this week? What are you waiting on? Like, what things do you want God to move on? And are you asking in prayer for God to address those things? Who are one to four people that you can... Invite to Easter or just start praying for. And will you sign up for the 24-7 prayer movement? Again, not to like put you to work, but just to join this waiting and this acting and this praying that we'd be people of hope, people of encouragement, people living our beliefs. 
When we pray like this, your kingdom done, thy will be done in Seattle as in heaven, in my home as in heaven, in my marriage as in heaven, in my fraternity as in heaven, in my dorm as in heaven, in my school as in heaven. Jesus says this kind of prayer, it changes the world. So let the kingdom of God bring you back to life and trust and hope that God will be bringing it bare on the whole earth. We're gonna be come a praying church. We're doing this work together. I, become, uh, I became a senior pastor a year ago, and several years ago, I became convicted that my prayer life wasn't big enough to sustain my family or to sustain my ministry or to sustain my career. So I asked God, can you give me a bigger prayer life? Can I, can I learn to listen to you in prayer? And I started to pray more and, and to create a ritual around prayer every day. And when I became a senior pastor a year ago, one of the first things I really felt like God was leading me to was this word that God placed in my heart. Can you return prayer to my prayer room? It's not saying people don't use the prayer room. That sits right in the back of the sanctuary. It's this beautiful space. But I felt like God was saying that as a metaphor, that I want prayer to be a center point for my people. I want you to have values and priorities and have a a word to speak out against injustices and call your people to generosity and to kindness. All those things are true, but God spoke to me. This is the vision for the season ahead. Make prayer at the headwaters. Restore prayer. And so what we're gonna do as we close, I'm gonna call our band back up. We're gonna actually have a time of public prayer. Oftentimes, as communicators, we tell you things, you go away, you eat brunch, you get busy, you mow the yard, you do homework, whatever. It's like, what was Sunday about? We're becoming a praying church, and we're talking about prayer. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray right now together. Remember, petitions where I pray for myself, it's good, but audit your prayer life. We shouldn't be praying more than half of all of our prayers just about ourselves. We should be interceding for the work of God in the world. We should be interceding for other people. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually write some intercessory prayers on the prayer room or on these walls on 80th. And upstairs, you can actually, I know it's hard to see, but you can actually write on the top of the prayer room there. We have dry erase markers stationed out here all around. And at the end of both the first two services, we've been doing this. And it's kind of hard to read until you get a little bit closer, but it's kind of beautiful we're setting up a prayer wall for the city of Seattle and we're laying out our prayers. And if that feels kind of vulnerable and you don't want to put somebody's name, if you just want to put a symbol or put a draw, like God knows it doesn't matter. But this week I was in here and I was just like seeing if this was even going to work. So I started to write out my, you know, like my kids' names and I was writing out different things. And a woman came walking down the sidewalk. And man, was she loaded down. It was like a metaphor. It was a real woman. It became like a metaphor of how so many of us live. She had a backpack on. She had her purse and coffee. And man, she was loaded down. And I'm writing this like, Jesus loves you. And she looks at me. And I had this whole daydream. Like she looks at me. I look at her. I'm happily married. So it's not that kind of daydream. But that Jesus loves you. And she's like, yes. And you know, she like, Praise the sinner prayer. We're down at Green Lake. She's baptized. She's here. Son, none of that happened. She was going to work. But we had this moment, this little moment. She's like, you know that squeaking of dry erase markers? I think she was like, that sounds weird. I got to pray for her. I got to just like, I didn't even know, you know where she was going. And then I kept praying for my family. And praying for my church, the people I serve with. And praying for you. We're becoming a praying church together. 
we're returning prayer as a center point at the headwaters of our community. So as we close, I'm inviting you to participate. Just think about prayer. Let's do it together. We also have prayer journals, notebooks, three of them here. If you want to write your prayer out, you're also, you could just come and kneel and pray to God if, if God's really breaking your heart or something you're carrying. We also have a prayer team that's going to be over by the sign if you want to pray with a person. Or you can write your intercessions, your prayers for the people in different colors. Some of these pens, they don't show up too well. It doesn't matter. God knows what you're writing. This is what it becomes, a praying church, a people who believe that prayer matters, that your life matters, waiting, acting, praying, hoping, encouraging, believing, people changing the city, courageous enough to just pray for others. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you for Bethany. Thank you for Green Lake. We thank you for the people that have come before us, that prayed for us to be here, that made this sanctuary available to us. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in a safe place. And God, every one of us is carrying around a whole bunch of people that are really hurting. So God, will you hear our prayers now? Would you heal them? Would you meet them? And would you hear us as your people? People turning to you in greater and greater fashion, a church that knows how to pray. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'm gonna invite you to respond. I'm gonna invite you to sing. We're praying as a church together.